Hello everybody and welcome back inside the Shark Tank for a special edition of the podcast to discuss the news that Sail Sharks have signed Springbok and Sail Sea Sharks prop Kearney Oysthazen on a three-year deal. My name is Lewis and I'm delighted to say for the first time in a few weeks I'm joined by both my co-hosts Alex and James. Alex, how are you? I'm very good, thank you mate. It's good to be back after last week. How are you? Very well, and even better now that we've signed uh, another loose head for the squad. Someone with a bit of tier one experience and someone who'll um, definitely make an impact to the squad. I'm kind of burying the lead here, but James, how are you? Uh, Yeah, good, mate. Nervous about the weekend, optimistic about next season. Fair enough. Well, we'll touch upon the this sort of season end uh, a little bit later on this edition of the podcast. But let, let's start with obviously the big news and, and the sort of main topic for today, which is obviously sales signing of Kearney Oysters. And James, as our resident super rugby expert, do you want to take the listeners to just a little bit of a, a profile of Oysters and what we can expect from him in sale colours next season? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about him being able to play both sides of the scrum, and the, the truth is, he has been playing tight head for the last few seasons. But when he was at the Cheetahs, he was a, he was a loose head prop. That's how he burst onto the scene. He came through the age group, mainly playing in that, in that position. Bulldozing, uh, marauding monster. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He just, you know, runs at people, forearm into the face, completely illegal and uh, very, very difficult to bring down. But I think just because of the size of him, and I think because the sprint box lost, especially after uh, Duplessis um, and then Cock and stuff coming over to Europe, they lost a lot of their depth at tight head. So they saw this big bulldozing monster and thought, well, he'll be able to lock down the tight head. And it hasn't been a wholly successful conversion. He's still um, uh, he's useful at super rugby level and he, he, he's done okay at international level at three, but really technically not strong enough as a, as a tight head uh, at that level, I think. Um, looking at a World Cup squad, you know, his ideal to have him as the fifth prop because he can cover both sides. Um, I think we're going to be seeing him mainly for sale sharks at one, um, considering the depth that we now have at three. But again, absolutely brilliant to have in the squad somebody who can flip between the two. Yeah, Alex, what, what was your sort of instant reaction to the news? Obviously, that always stays and it will be joining sale for the 2019-20 season and beyond. I actually think it's a bit of a... It's probably a better signing than, than we could have expected because, you know, after the... Kitchoff rumours and that falling through, then you're sort of thinking, where do we go from here? But I think what we've got is um, a player who's real first team quality and gives us a massive amount of depth um, to compete on both Premiership front and a European front, who's you know proven to be a, can play at the top level, and you probably got him for cheaper than you would have got Kitchoff, who's really one of the hottest properties in world rugby and that's why the South African Union fought so hard to keep him so I, I genuinely think it's a really exciting signing and we've been talking if you go back through the pods we're talking about Loosehead's second row and we've signed two massive South African well Loosehead in the second row we've, we've filled the gaps we needed to and we are you can see we're plugging those gaps in the uh, in the squad and I just think it's a really good bit of business going into next season. It makes me really excited about the squad composition. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting, you mentioned obviously about Stephen Kitchoff. Do you think it's reasonable to think that if Kitchoff did sign, we wouldn't have been able to sign Lou Diaga? And then does that impact our signing of Kearney Oysthazen as well? Because the way I look at it is the money that we've saved by not being able to acquire Kitchoff has basically been redistributed 
towards um, San Ludiaga. And then obviously we've had to fish in a slightly lower wage bracket for oyster taste. But actually on the scheme of things, like you were saying, Alex, it appears that this is actually a better value for money if indeed that is true. Yeah, I think what's interesting is, you know, clearly our first target was to go to, to Kishoff as a real statement signing at, at Loosehead, knowing that that's been a gap in the squad for some time. That was before we knew that Morozov, Morozov had real talent in that area arriving in January. And our backup and our first target for second row was Dave Atwood, um, who chose not to come to sale. And I think that that almost put in a chain of events um, that has led to this situation. If you could think of Kitchoff and Atwood versus Oistazen and um, Diaga. Diaga. Now, Atwood obviously is English qualified, but he's at the end of his career. Um, Oistazen is really interesting signing because he's definitely, we're not going to have him during the World Cup, probably. Um, but then he's unlikely to still play for South Africa post World Cup because he's 30 years of age. He's not going to make the next cycle. And he's not in South Africa anymore. So I think we can expect him to have him all year round for the next three or four years, which is excellent news, really. So I think as a duo, we've we've, we've ended up probably with the better package for the squad. Um, it does beg the question around EQP, which I know we, we might discuss a bit later. So Alex, where do you see Oistazen predominantly playing for Sale. Do you agree that we're likely to see him almost exclusively at Loosehead? Or do you think there is a potential for him to move across both sides of the scrum, as uh, he's been known to do uh, for South Africa and obviously now the Sharks in Durban? I think it's it's one that you can't really predict. We do have a habit of players who can play in more than one position sort of ending up playing them in those positions. Um, you know, if the James brothers are anything to go by, he'll be playing second row by the end of the season. Um, but I would I would prefer him to be as a loose head because I, I think we're absolutely right. We've got a lot of depth at three. And what we've got are two really talented players in Will Griff John and Joe Jones who have made mass improvements this season. You don't want to see those improvements sort of delayed by by the signing of Usheisen. When on the other side of the scrum, I think Morozov is a much more raw talent than those two. I think especially Will Griff John deserves to, you know, be our number one choice in effect. Um, so I would see him as a sort of rotating with Harrison. But I do think there is there's room for him to cover both sides of the scrum. Um, I just wouldn't like to see it become the norm. I'd like to see it used as a, you know, if we desperately need to rest someone. And, you know, what we've got are two really, really probably premiership standard props in Harrison and Will with John. And then two sort of maybe more slightly yet to prove themselves, but definitely talented in Morozov and Joe Jones. And what I'd like to see is sort of the rotation of that with Oysters and Hughes predominantly as one, but going across both sides of the scrum. Whether that'll happen, I, I think it's really hard to predict because it totally depends on injuries. You know, you look at Ross Harrison, he's probably due an injury season at some point. Um, so it's one of those, it's really hard to predict, but I think we will use his versatility because that is what we tend to do with players. Um, but I don't think that's any bad thing. You know, you look at our depth across the sort of both sides of the scrum now, and I think this gives us so much in terms of competing on two competitions that you've got to be really happy with it. Well, I, I don't disagree with that, but at the same time, I have a feeling that you might have forgotten we've also signed Jake Cooper Woolley to play tight head. 
Um, oh, good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and obviously, oh, guys, we've got too much depth. <laughs> what what a refreshing sort of situation to be in, um, given uh, how bad the uh, the stocks were a couple of years ago in in, in the front row. But yeah, I think um, yeah, I mean, I I take your points actually about you know Jones, John, and, and obviously Cooper Ward, and obviously having Oyster is available there means we've now in theory got four Premiership quality um, tight head props, which is obviously fantastic. But I think the way I'd sort of use the sign in. Uh, interestingly, given that he's been playing tight head this year, is that Ustazen will be coming over and playing almost exclusively uh, as a loose head. And actually, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this, James, as, as well. Obviously, you've spoken when you were profiling uh, Ustazen as, as being a bit more of a sort of a destructive player, especially with a with a focus on the loose. Do you think it's interesting that Sale have actually opted to sign someone who's perhaps a little bit more renowned for his ability in the loose rather than as a technical scrummager compared to someone like Ross Harrison, who is a very technically proficient scrummager, but maybe doesn't have the same impact in the loose? Yeah, he's, he's going to be impact, isn't he? He's going to be impact. Um, he's a dynamic player these days, and even pushing 30, well, I think he is 30 now. Yeah. He's very dynamic, so you can see him coming off the bench and different types of scrummaging options. You know, he's not, he's not a poor scrummager. I just think at tight head, he's just not quite at the top, at the top table. I've not, we've not seen him at loose head regularly for a few seasons now. So uh, you don't know how he's going to have adapted since he last played there from the different engagement laws and things like that. So there is an element of risk there, but there's no doubt that his loose play is going to have a high impact, either starting the game and then coming off or coming off the bench after 55, 60 minutes. But, you know, we, we can really see a bench taking shape now of impact players, which, let's be honest, we, we, we've never had. We've never had. So this is, this is fantastic. I'm just looking at the depth at uh, uh, one and the three going into next season. This is an extraordinary turnaround from, you know, this season and the, and the seasons before. You know, if you look at loose head, you know, we've got, you know, um, Ustazen, Harrison, uh, Morozov, kind of as the front line. There's then question marks about the future of James Flynn, Tom Bristow. We know that uh, Pope has been banned for some time, but he's still around and in contract and looks like the club are sticking by him. Um, and yeah, and then we've also got uh, Bevan um, Rod as well, um, who is a really talented young from group. Obviously, too early for him as a prop, but the point is we've got really deep stocks there. And then at head, less deep but high quality. You know, you've, you've got Jake Cooper, Woolley, Griff, John, and Joe Jones. So you now think you've got three Premiership quality props there. So we're in really, really good shape. Alex, who do you think is Sales starting loose head? Um, next season do you think the signing of Oosthuizen challenges Harrison's position as the sort of incumbent at loose head or do you think we're going to see a much more dynamic uh, rotation system in place uh, than we've seen in years past no I think I think Harrison will still be first choice um, and I think probably rightly so I think Oosthuizen what I would you know ideally like to see is Oosthuizen just take the pressure off Harrison is as a starter, because you know, I think part of Ross's development as a player has been because of the amount of game time he's had, and you know, but now he's getting to a stage where if you're looking to preserve his career and lengthen his career, bringing in Ustase and as someone who can come off the bench at 50 minutes rather than at 75 minutes is a much more attractive option, and it'll be interesting to see how that works because it will be a bit of change from. You know, Harrison has almost been a guaranteed starter and nearly guaranteed 80 minutes every week. So, 
but I think it has to be used as a as a positive thing for everyone's development. You know, Harrison's going to have an international class prop to learn off every day, but also a bit of competition never hurts. I think we've had a, quite a few players whose growth has sort of almost been stalled by the fact of lack of competition in their position. Mike Haley being the prime one, because I think you know you look at our fullback stocks now. And you realise that all we had was Mike Haley. And that was part of the reason for the fact that, you know, when he burst onto the scene and then his development slowed, it was because he didn't have anyone competing for his position. So I, I think it's a, it should be seen as a benefit for Harrison. But I would like to see it used as a, you know, let's let's look at playing Ross for 50, 60 minutes or flipping that on its head, bringing him off the bench for 30 minutes in, you know, European Cup games where you know, maybe we're not not as as bothered about them if depending on what our priorities are um that's the way i would do it whether that works i but i think the club will stick by ross because i think he's one of our sort of most dependable and probably most high quality players and i think he's earned the right to be a starter from what he's done for the club and the way he's played yeah i mean i agree completely with that and i think we've obviously just mentioned how the two have quite contrasting styles i think ustazen just sets up much better as an impact player coming off the bench when especially if the game is a little bit more open and you're looking for someone to make an impact in the loose rather than trying to turn a scrum and, and win a penalty I think Ustazen is, is a perfect example of that um, that sort of player that you want to come on at 55 minutes with, with uh, tired legs on the pitch and, and really sort of make an impact uh, James we sort of suggested that we're going to talk about um, the sort of sales transfer activity uh, as a whole um, and I'm interested to get your opinion on where do you think Ustazen ranks for sale ahead of next season in terms of being uh, an impact signing for the club. So just as a little re- reminder uh, for those of you who might have forgotten uh, who sale have signed for next season. As it stands, uh, sale have signed Jake Cooper-Woolley, Robert Dupria, Aka van der Merwe, Lou Diaga and obviously Kearney Oysthazen ahead of next season so there's obviously there's a lot of talk about some of the other players who might be coming in and this might affect things and we'll, we'll pick this up in a, in a few weeks time if that is the case but as it stands where do you rank Oosthuizen in terms of uh, impact signings for the Sharks next season? I think he's probably number three something like that for me for me, we need it to be Rob Dupree it is, it's the real one that really makes the difference because you know, AJ has been, you know, he's had a few good games, a few bad games and missed most games. <laughs> so we need the answer to be Rob Dupreo as the number one. Uh, clearly, Lou Diago is the one that is the headline act in all of this. He's the world-class potential player who is the monster in the second row we've always wanted. You know, we've always made do with a with a, a Mills and then a Phillips. And don't get me wrong, they've both been excellent for sale. Brilliant, absolutely superb. But to bring in a world class enforcer, that's a game changer for sale. We've never managed to do it. So he's probably number two for me, and then Ustazen probably number three. Um, the one that's probably a bit further down, Jake Cooper Woolley hasn't played much rugby this season, really struggled with injury. Um, and Akaban de Merle has been really struggling to form in Super Rugby. Throwing in has been borderline horrific. Um, so you know, uh, he'll fit nicely in with our hooker stocks. <laughs> uh, whatever aside, sorry, sorry, Rob's been absolutely world-class in that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he's still going to have the impact off the bench. Again, brilliant around the loose and a really interesting sign. I just think this is just a really high-quality number of signing. But we've not gone for, like, 15 new faces. We've gone for really high-quality in positions that we need. 
Um, and it just begs the question now, what are the other positions that we need with the, uh, with people coming in? And I know that some of the guys on Twitter have a view on this. Some still need to seem to think that we need a nine, even though we've just signed Will Cliff for three years. I don't think we've signed him for three years to be number three, four or five uh, uh, scrum half. Um, so I don't think that's a thing. But I think there's, there's credible um, things there in the in the back row. I still think in the second row in terms of depth, um, having extra cover there. And uh, at 15, clearly 15. We do not have an out-and-out specialist 15 in the whole squad. Let's, um, that's unusual. Let, let's circle back to that uh, in, in a few minutes because I just want to get Alex's opinion on, on overall on, on Oosthuizen as a signing. Do you think that... Where do you think he ranks in terms of who Sale has signed so far in terms of being that impact player for, for the Sharks next season? Yeah, I, I agree with James. I think Rob Spring needs to be number one, but I also think he is number one because the way he played last season, if you look at the way he transformed our game, just in terms of, I mean, it came at a good time for him almost because we've been missing AJ, we've been missing a kicker, um, and he came and he really steadied the ship. But I think the way he plays with De Klerk, and then, you know, if you've got Rohan or O'Connor outside him, I think the way he fits into our team is absolutely ideal. And, you know, he's not going to be that expensive when you look at the others. So I think, you know, value for money in a position we need and um, proven that he can play at Premiership Standard. And, you know, when you look at the Saracens and Gloucester games last year, he was a massive part of those victories. Um, so he's number one for me. Lou Diago, number two. Um, I just think because in the second row, we have got... It, we're not quite as desperate for a second row as we were for a 10, in my opinion. Um, people may well disagree with that. Um, I'm probably rightly so, but I just think, you know, with we had a massive gap between AJ and sort of Kieran Wilkinson. I don't think the gap is as far between the likes of Evans, Beaumont, Phillips and Possilthwaite and not. Um, so, yeah, you says probably just going at, at three for me. Akavander Murray, you're right. I, I think um, Langdon and Weber have had that position sort of covered this year relatively well other than throwing in um, and then Jake Cooper well he's a bit of an enigma isn't he he's a bit sort of we're not sure how much we're going to see of him you know he's had some injuries in the past few years which meant he hasn't really been able to prove himself so um, that is a very long way of saying yes I agree with James but <laughs> I, that's my opinion on it and someone will inevitably disagree somewhere so I think we're all in agreement however that Oysterzen is a fantastic signing for sale that absolutely fills a hole, one of the most glaring holes in the Shark squad. And that's the way I sort of look at this signing as well. And I think in, in, in a sense, I mean, I know we'll probably lose Oysterzen to the, the Springboks at the Rugby World Cup, but like you said, James, that, uh, on Kitchoff and about how, uh, well, you implied that obviously if we had signed Kitchoff, he wouldn't have been available all season, uh, akin potentially to, to sort of the periods that we missed the clerk this season. I think Ois Tayson is a really, really smart signing by the club, a bit like Jay Cooper Woolley um, sort of suggests he should be as well, in that he's going to fill a hole in the squad. Uh, he's you know he's experienced at Tier 1 international level. He's got 30 caps for the spring box. Uh, he's someone who can cover uh, both sides of the scrum in a pinch if something happens to Cooper Woolley or Wilgriff John or, or Joe Jones. Um, and I think he's just an absolutely fantastic signing. That speaks to the depth that the club is um, building uh, ahead of what should hopefully be uh, a top four and a top six challenge next season. But obviously, so let's circle back to the sort of points you were making a few minutes ago, James, just about where sale go from here. So, Oysterzen, there's your hole at loose head behind Ross Harrison ticked off. 
Lou Diaga, there's your impact player in the second row. That's only that's not ticked off. Cooper Woolley, tick. Robert Dupree, tick. Akavan de Merwe, to an extent, tick. These are all holes that have been in the sales squad that we've been exploited at to an extent this season that have all been filled for next season. But but where do we go from here? There's a lot of rumours going around about a lot of different players who are mentioned, but where do you think, first and foremost, should be sales priority now? Now that we've signed Royce Hayes and Dupree, Diaga, etc. Who's your uh, who's your priority and who's your uh, who's your target? Okay, well, we, we, we know there's rumours going around about the Dupree twins. Um, maybe not to join permanently, initially, um, but I think the, the take, take the fact that they're twins are out of the question. I think we do need a ball-carrying back row, um, especially when Strauss is not available. I think that's definitely a hole in the squad, um, and uh, especially as 15. Um, I think you know we can expect Ashton to be uh, available for the next couple of seasons after the World Cup and not be going on international duty. But considering his injury record this year, yeah, there's no one in behind him. But we, we, and he's not a specialist 15. Um, so we need one. I think that that is something that's really hit home. It, it, it didn't quite hit home in the season preview. We flagged it as a worry, but as the season's gone on, I mean, Luke James has done an absolute fab job. I and mean, it might be that we've just got, we're overstocked at centre and understocked at 15. Um, but it is, and, and maybe there's not the room in the cap for a 15 as well. Um, if there is, we should definitely get a, a squad 15. It doesn't have to be first choice, but somebody who play a lot of games at 15, um, a premiership standard. Or we have to try and hold on for another season and when someone's out of contract, maybe James O'Connor or something, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud here while saying to fans. Uh, but uh, let's say that happened and then you thought, OK, well, actually, let's use James O'Connor's money um, to bring in a full-back. Um, or they might decide that O'Connor's going to play 15 all next season, in which case that would be very sensible for me. But, it did, you know. So, Alex, can you think of any... Sort of proven Premiership fullbacks who might be available um, ahead of next season, who who might also help um, address what perhaps you know a potential problem that's that's beginning to brew in uh, the sales squad, which might be a lack of EQPs. Can, can you think of anyone like that? Um, no, I mean, what you really need is someone who's sort of you know maybe maybe looking for a year deal away, maybe maybe likes the north. That's how we tend to attract our fullbacks historically. I've absolutely no idea, mate. <laughs> if only if only there was one, um, maybe like the top meter maker in the in the Premiership this season or something, something like that. That'd be ideal. <laughs> <laughs> James, can you think of anyone? Yeah, Simon Hammersley. There we go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah, tip of the tongue. I mean, honestly, he, he would be perfect with me, solid with the high ball, he's, he puts his foot through the ball kicking, he makes metres, um, he's not the, the quickest man on the field, but he's, he's quite difficult to break down, actually. He did have injury problems at the end of this season and last season, but he's had a, another great season for, for Newcastle. You know, I'm always wary of taking that like, pillaging uh, relegated side, know where the player's motivation is um, and you, you want them to, to, to come to join us rather than just leave because their team got relegated it's a different mental state but if he's up for a permanent deal which is what um, uh, the Robbie paper has been suggesting that Hammersley is actually uh, interested in a, in a couple of years um, as a permanent deal then uh, we'd be idiotic not to bring him in if we can afford him in the cap but him being EQP could be very important you know I do think we're going to be 
really struggling to manage this next season without significant rotation. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned about the permanent deal because I think that's one dynamic that I really wanted to emphasise as part of these rumours. So obviously, if, if you haven't heard, the rumours going around at the moment is that both Mark Wilson and Simon Hammersley are being linked to join Sale uh, following Newcastle Falcons relegation. But what's interesting is that Mark Wilson is allegedly interested in joining on a one-year loan deal, in theory, whilst Newcastle play down the championship and come back up next season, whereas Simon Hammersley is apparently interested in joining on a permanent deal. Um, Both players are looking to obviously uh, leave the Falcons to pursue their international ambitions and obviously completely understandable in the World Cup year. Um, obviously Hammersley is someone who might not necessarily be a front runner for the England squad but he's obviously someone who's put his name on the periphery uh, based on the performances this season and it is interesting that actually you know as we look at the players who might be leaving Newcastle and Chris Harris to Gloucester is another one that's been uh, mooted is that obviously Wilson would be uh, a loan deal whereas Hammersley would be a permanent deal which obviously adds an extra dynamic to a potential choice between the two of them. Now, really quickly, uh, I want to pose this question to the to the both of you, Alex. If you had the choice between either Mark Wilson or Simon Hammersley uh, from Newcastle, which player would you prioritise signing? Um, for me, Hammersley, if only to uh, justify the fact that I've been banging on about us not having a fifteen all season. Um, I, I just, I just think. We, we talk about how well stocked our back row is with two Curries, John O'Ross, Josh Strauss, Cam Neild. Um, it would be odd to sign Wilson, um, especially because it almost, you know, we can barely get the England players in our back row at the moment as it is. And I think Ross is our captain and will start. Um, I think signing Wilson would almost damage damage Ross and Ben Curry's England ambitions because it's just another barrier to them getting club exposure to then go and play for England um, and you know I would almost you want Mark, Mark Wilson needs to be playing at uh, the Premiership that's that's a fact and Mark Wilson would probably prefer to stay in the North he's a Cumbria lad um, I just think he really really doesn't fit with sort of our squad makeup. And I don't think it would be good for any of our current players or him probably, just because of the competition in that back row. And it's not like we're guaranteed Champions Cup rugby and we're going to be competing in the finals of that and the Premiership. You know, we're very much a squad in transition. Hammersley, on the other hand, if he's looking at a permanent deal, we're in desperate need of English qualified players, we're in desperate need of fullback, and he's a proven Premiership performer and he's a really solid player. And that frees Ashton up for in terms of his England representation, but also to play both wing and fullback, and it takes the pressure off him a bit. So I think Hammersley is an ideal signing. I really don't think Wilson is a good signing. I think he's a brilliant player, but I think we're fortunate in the position now where we don't have to just have to take anyone who's available. We can be a bit more choosy. And our recruitment has been really well targeted so far. We've picked five good quality players in positions we need them. So to go out and just splash over Cass on Wilson, I don't think would be. I don't think it would make sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think Wilson is not the natural fit with this sale team that Hammersley is, and although Wilson is probably the superior player um, comparatively, I think Sale's burning desire for an out-and-out fullback should trump 
that of Wilson's sort of superior individual ability. James, uh, so uh, I, I would concur with that and say Hammersley is a perfect signing. Wilson is a good signing, but he isn't necessarily one that uh, that I'd be prioritising, especially if it meant it was at the expense of signing Hammersley. Uh, James, have you got any thoughts very quickly on Wilson versus Hammersley? Well, Hammersley is the best decision for the squad maker. Wilson, unless we something we don't know with Josh Strauss, then I think that he would be the, the wrong signing for sale for now. He's such a wonderful player and leader and grafter. He would fit the sale more perfectly if we didn't already have Jono Ross, basically, who's going to be a captain to start every game. Um, so uh, I, don't, I don't see how you'd be able to rotate that back row efficiently unless he's replacing Strauss. And then if the um, Dupria brothers are coming, you know, you've got you've got Dan who whose best position really is eight, but can do a job at four. Um, and then you've got uh, Jean-Luc, whose best position is blindside, but can do a job at eight. So you can have a lot of coverage uh, at eight, considering that Donna Ross is also, you know, covers that position as well. So it would be a, a, an, an, odd, an odd position. Now, see, Wilson's best position is also blindside, but if he captains there, that's, that's, that's just a difficult one for me. Well, it's all getting very exciting talking about who may or may not be joining for next season's squad. But we must remember that we still have one week left of the current season to go. Now, obviously, myself and James uh, covered the Gloucester game on uh, that's coming up for sale on Saturday to finish the season on last week's podcast. But obviously, Alex wasn't available to join us. So on this special edition of the podcast this week, as well as promoting last week's podcast and the preview for the Gloucester game, we also really wanted to get... Uh, Alex's thoughts on the game ahead so obviously it's it's almost a case of winning you in for Sale but there are still some permutations for how it all might shake out Um, if Sale are able to beat Gloucester uh, they stand a very good chance of finishing in the top six in Champions Cup Rugby which is of course the aim Uh, however they can also find themselves outside the top six even with a win should Bath uh, better Sale score uh, when they play Leicester Tigers uh, at the weekend. So Alex, uh, we've done a very quick job of sort of setting the scene and it's very much a case of Sale have to do absolutely everything they can to win on Saturday and hope other results fall their way. But what are you expecting from Saturday's uh, game at home to Gloucester to finish the 2018-19 Premiership season? I'm really hoping for us to just go out there and try and score. To... It's, a, it's a very odd one with it being out of our hands, but I... I want us to go out there and score tries, and I think Gloucester don't travel well up north. Historically, we've done relatively well against them. Um, it's last day of the season. It should be a really big event, and I think the letdown of last last season against Leicester at home um, means that we are due a sort of a field of performance. And going into next season, you know, you are looking at this game as it's massively important in terms of our Champions Cup qualification. And you know, I think we've sort of we've we've let ourselves down a little bit in terms of not getting top six because some of the rugby we've played this season has been excellent but then injuries haven't helped us and I think that's probably the difference I'm not saying it's you know I'm not whinging about it injuries happen we should be used to it but those injuries are probably the difference between us and top six if we can get top six brilliant but I just want us to go out and Gloucester a top four contender next season they're probably going to be right up there Um, and I think we need to go out and sort of effectively 
show them that next season we're going to be there to compete with them and say this is the squad we've got now just wait until next season we've we've hurt them at their ground they'll be out for revenge for that but I think you know hopefully an open game which will suit us and with them being away they like to throw the ball around they like to play rugby but we've managed to deal with that and then hurt them before so I think it'll be a very similar tactic to when we absolutely hammered them last season in that we'll soak up their attack um, and then we'll just hit them with sort of you know uh, tries where they're not they don't really know anything about it and as long as we're clinical which we were uh, in the away game then I'm fairly confident for that game for a win um, I'm just hoping for a good day because I think you know we've got a really exciting season next season let's go into it with a bit of positive momentum because last season we were going we've got a really exciting season next season and then we got beat very well by Leicester um, so I'm hoping for just an entertaining game rugby that I think if it's entertaining if it's open we will win Before I quickly come on to you James just to ask your opinion uh, and whether or not any of it's changed since we spoke last week uh, one thing that has changed is obviously with Saracens winning the European Champions Cup there is an additional permutation for Champions Cup qualification from the Premiership next season. Uh, so I did a little bit of digging uh, on the day to work out exactly how Champions Cup qualification is, is decided. And so officially, the way the final qualification space uh, across the three leagues is determined is the first, if it's the Champions Cup winner, if not already qualified. The second is the Challenge Cup winner, if not already qualified. So the first would be in Saracens. They've, they've got top six, they will be in. So that supersedes uh, winning the Champions Cup. Challenge Cup winner, Clermont, second in the top 14, almost guaranteed uh, to finish in uh, the top six in France, so they'll qualify. The third clause is the Ch- Challenge Cup losing finals, which is La Rochelle. Uh, now, La Rochelle uh, aren't quite as secure in their spot in France's top six, but again, they are in line to qualify. So if La Rochelle don't qualify, then goes on to the fourth, which is a playoff match between the losing Challenge Cup semi-finalists if not already qualified. That would be ourselves and Harlequins, but Harlequins look set to qualify uh, as well, bar- uh, barring a, a bit of a meltdown in the final game of the season. Which brings on to the fifth and final clause, which would be the highest-ranked non-qualified club by virtue of league position from the same league as a Champions Cup winner. And now with Saracens having been confirmed as a Champions Cup winner, that place, in theory, should go to sale should La Rochelle or Harlequins not qualify by virtue of league position. So it does mean that if things both go and don't go our way on Saturday, there is the possibility of Selge qualifying for the Champions Cup by virtue of finishing seventh. So just something to consider when uh, following all the results and scores uh, on Saturday's afternoon, especially as all teams are playing uh, at the same time. So really interesting, James, that there might still be a backdoor into the Champions Cup. But has that changed, or has anything else in the the week since we've spoken uh, changed your opinion on how things could shake out between Sale and Gloucester on Saturday? Well, in some ways, that makes me a bit more confident. I mean, La Rochelle do have a difficult last final two games because they go away to Lyon and then they're at home to Bordeaux. So two you know, teams that they're competing against for the top six in the playoffs in France. So that's not given at all. Um, but let's say that they manage it um, and they and they get in. That means that seventh probably is going to be enough, it, it sounds like. Um, and therefore, I think that changes... I think it gives us a better chance because it means we Gloucester are all costs not necessarily have to win with a bonus point and that, that drags Quinn into the mix as well because we you know it basically it means it might be back in our hands again and therefore just win and we finish seven and we qualify 
Right, well, with that very cheery outlook for the uh, end of the current season, let's do our final predictions uh, of the year. Uh, Alex, do you want to start? Um, Sale 37, Gloucester 12. I think we're going to batter. I don't know why. It's complete rubbish. James, what do you predict? Uh, I think it's going to be Sale 22. Gloucester 16 Okay, I'm going Sale 25 Gloucester 19 but without uh, a try bonus point so it all might come down to that 7th place and what happens between Bath uh, and Leicester well, well that's it That we'll leave you with that ahead of the uh, final game of the season uh, as we mentioned um, please do check out last week's podcast in which me and James do a bit more of a comprehensive look at this, uh, the game between Sale and Gloucester um, but I want to say a big thank you uh, to the listeners for tuning in thank you to everyone who's been engaging with us about the signings it's obviously great to have um, some important news to discuss about Sale and it's great to see Sale fans really sort of galvanised before the end of the season um, please do check out last week's pod um, and thank you to James and Alex for joining me cheers mate cheers mate we'll see you all next week